Verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus uttered these words from the cross. It appears that the Lord was, instead of just crying out, Oh, Lord, you're forsaking me. He was declaring that he is the Messiah connected to Psalm 22, that he is the Messiah connected and promised from the Old Testament. He was not admitting that he missed God's purpose. He was announcing his fulfillment of God's purpose. Next we see in verses 3 through 5 that God has been faithful to Israel. So the prophet cries out in verse 1 and 2, Lord, you have forsaken me. Verses 3 through 5 is a reminder of God's faithfulness. We see and we're watching and viewing and experiencing the life of Exodus and how God is rescuing his people. Verse 3 says, Yet you are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. Well, that's encouraging. God has been faithful. He's still faithful. Next, in verses 6 through 8, begins what appears to be the crucifixion. Please turn to, you're welcome to turn to, Psalm 20, I mean, uh, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. You don't have to turn there because I can read it for us. Matthew 27. And just hold your place. It's good to have a bookmark in your Bible, and I do not have one. So if you've got your place there in Matthew 27, hold it, and then look back at Psalm 22. Verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. In verse 6, it says, I am a worm and not a man. Now, if this is talking about the Lord, then Isaiah uh, chapter 53, verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Look at verse 7. All who seek me mock me, and they make mouths at me. They, they wag their heads. Now, look at Matthew 27, verse 39. It says, all who passed by him, this is the crucifixion, all who passed by him derided him, wagging their heads. You see that? Now, go back to Psalm 22, verse 8. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Now, this is the mockers speaking here. Now, if you go to chapter 27, verse 43. Matthew 27, verse 43. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. People are crying out, saying, if, if Jesus is God, let God rescue him. Let the angels come and, and rescue him off of the cross. Look at verse 9, chapter 22, Psalm 22, verse 9. Yet you 
are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. Okay? This references the humanity of Christ. He was fully man, and he was fully God. Verses 9 and 10 are basically referencing the incarnation of Christ, that the Word became flesh. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that Jesus Christ, he was a man. He grew physically. He grew mentally. He grew tired. There were days that he was thirsty. He had emotions. Jesus wept. He became burdened. Jesus was a man. John Calvin says this, Christ has put on our feelings along with our flesh. Christ has put on our feelings along with our flesh, yet without sin. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He is the only one who could pay for your sins. Verse 10, it says, On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Now David is writing this. And so if this is just about David, listen to what David says in Psalm 51. He says, I was conceived in sin, brought forth in iniquity, separated from God. You see the contrast? David was born a sinner just like we were. But Jesus was not. From his mother's womb, he knew the Lord. Verse 11. Hope you have your roller skates on. We're going fast. Verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. There is none to help. If God is on the cross, then who's going to help? The point is this, that no one took his life. No one took Jesus' life. He laid it down for his sheep. He laid it down for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So if God was on the cross, there was no one that could help him except for God himself. And there's the grace of God because he stayed on the cross and he could have come off. Verses 12 through 13, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Peter would refer to Satan as a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. The enemy behind all enemies. The enemy behind all the enemies of believers is Satan himself. Jesus was surrounded that day. He was receiving the punishment for our sins. Verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. 
I did find a bookmark just then. Look at that. There's a medical condition that people can have called pericardial effusion. Anyone know what that is? It's when the heart, uh, there's, there's a sac around your heart. And when your heart is uh, torn or, or damaged, or when you're under severe stress, that sac begins to fill up with water, with fluid. And many medical doctors that are believers believe that Jesus very well could have died from a broken heart. We know that in the garden he was under so much stress. The Bible says that he was sweating what are like drops of blood. We have well-documented medical cases today when the body is under severe, excruciating pressure. When the body is under uh, so much stress that our our blood cells can actually burst and, and we can bleed through our sweat glands. The Lord was under great stress that day as he went to the cross. It says he was poured out like water. And just to be sure, what did the Roman soldier do? Stabbed him in the side, and what flowed? Blood and water. Very symbolic. Jesus would become living water to all who would come and drink. So Revelation chapter 22, verse 1, says that, proceed, that living water is proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. I'm poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. You know those people that can just make their shoulder go out of joint or their finger? You always had like one or two of those people in your class at school. They just kind of... I just thought that was really strange. But some of you have a gift. You can make your body do some funny things. But the Lord, under so much, uh, the cat of nine tails, the, the whip that they beat him, that was a torture device filled with glass and rock and ceramic. And Jesus would have endured a severe beating, crown of thorns on his head, severe crucifixion. And probably, through having to carry the cross and falling down, losing a lot of blood, very easily could have some bones that were out of joint, out of place. Especially when that cross went down into the hole on top of that hill. And all the weight of the Lord's body was on his hands and his feet. And the cross went down into the hole. Can you imagine the weight? Certainly, that probably misplaced some bones my heart is like wax it is melted within my breast God broke his heart to save yours verse 15 my strength is dried up like a pot's herd and my tongue sticks to my jaws and you lay me in the dust of death it says my strength is dried up. Certainly, the, the physical strength that Jesus had carrying the cross after undergoing severe flogging, being beat, being spit upon, being humiliated, not having a good place to sleep. 
the Lord was exhausted. Even though he was God, he was fully man. Probably struggled in that moment with severe dehydration, which makes your tongue swell. My tongue sticks to my jaws. He lay me in the dust of death. Probably the road that Jesus carried the cross down was dusty. Verse 16. For dogs encompass me, and a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Psalm 22 was written about a thousand years before the crucifixion. Before crucifixion, before Jesus' crucifixion. Psalm 22 was written before crucifixion was even invented. It's almost like God knows the future. They have pierced my hands and my feet. There are no other ancient forms of torture that also used the piercing of the hands and the feet, except for crucifixion. Isaiah also would write, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Are you moved yet by the cross? Because all of this is about saving us. Verse 17, I can count all my bones, they stare and gloat over me. The Lord could count all of his bones. He probably didn't have any clothes on. But also, the scripture predicted that not one of his bones would be broken. Most of the prisoners, if they hadn't died on time, the time that the soldiers preferred, would do what? We've seen the Passion play. They would break the legs, right? Well, they got to Christ. They didn't have to break his because he had already died. Not one of his bones was broken. You know, Matthew says that when Jesus died, that an earthquake happened. Very cool. And also, we'll see next week that when Jesus rose from the grave, the earth shook then as well. Verse, seven, verse, verse 18, last verse. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. By the way, I forgot to mention that in Exodus, the book that we're going through this semester, the instruction for the Passover lamb was to not make sure that none of its legs were broken. It's interesting. I almost forgot to mention that. And the reason that Christ's legs were not broken was to fulfill the prophecy, fulfill Scripture. Okay, verse 18. If you're still in Matthew 27, look at verse 35. There are a lot more connections that I'm skipping over, but we don't have time for. Matthew 27, verse 35. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Do you see that? to fulfill, fulfill Scripture. 
even to his last breath, the Lord was connecting the dots all the way from Genesis all the way to the crucifixion to tell the world that he's the Messiah. He's the promised one. Hosanna, the king has come. Now, what is the meaning of the cross? The cross declares that you and I have a problem. The cross declares that the most righteous person in our church before an awesome and holy God is just as filthy, just as separated from God as the most vile sinner, the most evil prisoner, the most warped-minded terrorist. And that is what is offensive about the cross. That offends us this morning for those of us that think we have it all put together. We've been trying our whole life to get our life out of the gutter, right? And when you see the, the message and the story of the cross, it declares that, that you have a problem. And it was our sins. We deserved the cross. We deserved hell. People do not want to hear that they are sinners. I don't like being told that I'm a sinner. And so the cross is offensive because it directly confronts the evil that controls so much of this world. Thank God for the cross because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Jesus Christ can make you totally new today because of the cross and because of the resurrection. We'll talk about that next week. Jesus Christ was jeered and made fun of so that we could have the applause of God. Jesus heard, depart from me, so we could hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus was shackled so that we could be set free. He was the substitute for our sins. The worst suffering happened when God the Father and God the Son were separated. When God turned his back, Christ shed his blood. The blood is the meeting place between God and man. He made atonement for our sins on the cross. There's a story about Billy Graham. Tim Keller shared this uh, story. But it's in his autobiography, Just As I Am. You guys know the book, Just As I Am? Some of you have read that. By the way, we named our son Graham after Billy. We hope that he tells Graham Frazier, tells many people about the Lord. But Billy was invited to, to, to speak at this Ivy League school. Top shelf, most brilliant students in the the world. And the student body was a population of 10,000 people. And, the, and Billy began to get intimidated because all over the news they said, oh, how can Billy Graham, a, a backwoods dairy, son of a dairy farmer from the backside of nowhere in North Carolina, how can he connect with these brilliant Ivy League college students? And so Billy began to hear the voices and, and he writes about this in his autobiography and he began to get so nervous and so worked up. And so he started studying and he started uh, preparing to speak to these brilliant people. And he had four nights to share with them. And the first three, 
He tried to appear and, and share as much knowledge as he could and tried to appear to be very intelligent and, and give all the Greek and Hebrew that he knew and, and tried to really meet them where they are. Paul said, become all things to all people, and that's what he was trying to do. But on the last night, Billy Graham scrapped his notes, and he talked about the blood of Jesus. And as he began to talk about the blood of Jesus, the power of God fell on this man. And that night, 400 of those college students walked the aisle and gave their lives to Christ. There's something powerful about the blood of Jesus. And this morning, if you're not moved, I would say your heart is cold as ice, and it's hard. your heart is, is hard as a rock, because the cross is powerful. And it's the cross where Jesus made a way for us. He parted the Red Sea. He made a way when there was no way. And so, because of the cross, because Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, he was a perfect sacrifice. If you repent of your life and place your faith in Jesus and, and, are, and you're adopted into his family, you're grafted into the, into the kingdom, here's what happens. From then on, when Jesus looks at you, he no longer sees all of the things you struggle with. He no longer sees your past and all of the, the roads you went down that everyone told you not to go down. When he looks at you, he sees his perfect son. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And he's proud of you because of Jesus in you. The righteousness of Christ indwells his children who have been saved by grace through faith and put their faith in Jesus. But to get there, you have to call on God to save you. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you've never done that before, today would be a great day. Next week would be great also, but we're not promised tomorrow. The Lord is here, he's in the house, and he wants to do business in our heart. In just a few moments, we're about to pass out the Lord's Supper. But right now, we're just going to have a time of silence for you just to deal, just to deal with the Lord, to deal with the truth of the cross. And if you say, you know, I don't really think that uh, Psalm 22 is talking about the crucifixion. That's okay, and you have that right. I would say just go to Matthew 27 and just read that chapter, and there you know that's about the crucifixion. So right now, let's just, everyone, please close our eyes. Get alone right there in your seat with the Lord. And dwell and glory in the cross.
Father, thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask our deacons to please come forward. We will now begin to take the Lord's Supper. I want to invite you, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're more than welcome to join us this morning. But if you've never made that decision, if you've never made Christ Lord of your life, then I would encourage you to hold off and, and talk with us after the service is over. Like baptism, the Lord's Supper is not necessary for salvation, but it is necessary for obedience. And this is what this, this is about. It's symbolic. We don't actually believe that the body of Christ is here in this small bread wafer. It's symbolism. It symbolizes his broken body, broken for you. The fruit of the vine. Jesus drank the fruit of the vine and he said, this is my blood. Now when you first hear that, you think that's kind of strange. But it's symbolic. Just as a wedding ring, if you're married, is on your hand, symbolic that you belong to someone else. The Lord's Supper is us declaring that the Lord has saved us by His grace through His death on the cross. Now, we will distribute the bread.
1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread and eat. Pray for us. Dear God, we come together, Lord, and we're just, uh, just humbled and, and grateful for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us, Lord. And, and, and we're just humbled, Lord, that we just can't even realize that you would do that for us. And so, Lord, as we, we take the body this morning, Lord, allow us to, to use it as a token to remember, Lord. Remember what you've done for us, Lord. Remember that you've forgiven our sins, Lord. And allow us to move forward in the freedom of that, Lord, to, to continue to live for you and to and to live in that freedom. We thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
Pray after he after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us drink together. Heavenly Father, Lord, God, right now I find it hard to stand in your presence, Father, knowing the, the ugliness of my heart, Father. God, and there may be others here that feel the same way, Father, but through it all, you still love us, and you sent your son for us, Lord. And thank you for this time to honor you. God, I pray that you just cleanse us, cleanse me, Father. Help me have the loving heart that you want us to have, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We will celebrate the Lord's Supper until, until he comes back. And until then, we have a lot of work to do. If we don't go, who will? We've been commissioned to go and make disciples of all nations. C.T. Studd, the famous preacher, said that if Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. I hope that you're blessed this morning by the reality of the gospel. I hope you're encouraged that you don't have to, you see that this morning, it's not about doing a bunch of good things. It's about coming to the Lord just as you are and letting him clean you up. Jesus came because he loves you. The Bible says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And this morning, if you do not know Christ, you can. Simply come to him just as you are and say, Lord, I believe that you are God. And, and, and God, I admit to you that I have fallen short, that I'm a sinner. And I come and I want to put my faith in Jesus, the same Jesus that died on the cross and rose again from the grave three days later. God, I want you to come be my Lord. I want you to come live inside of me. You can pray something like that. Repent and believe. And you too can be brought into the kingdom. I'm going to pray. Then we have our time of invitation. If you need to make a decision, we encourage you to do that. If you'd like to pray this morning at the altar, you're welcome to. You can pray just where you're at. Feel free to praise the Lord as we sing this song. And rejoice in the good news that Jesus saves. God, thank you for being here. Lord, in this moment, in this song, we, we want to sing to you like we believe it. God, thank you, God, for the cross. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be perfect. God, we don't have to have it all together. God, thank you for being perfect on our behalf. I pray this in Jesus' name. Stand together and sing.
do, but God, even more important than that, forever and for all of eternity, you love us. And God, you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. And by trusting in him, we can have life forever. God, let us celebrate that. Let us honor you in that. Jesus, let us share that with our friends, family, those in here, near, and far. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Hey, be seated just for about two minutes. I have two announcements for you. Today's number is number two. Like God's a good, good, any that doesn't matter. Uh, hey, two things for you. Uh, last week, wanted to see how well you recall uh, what I spoke about last week, which no one ever remembers. What number did I give you, the number five? Excellent, because today at five, uh, everyone in this room, everyone across our campus has an opportunity to share in what we're calling Reach Night, five o'clock. We've got things for kids, children, babies. We've got child care. We've got some food coming. And so I want to let you know that we're here to share what we did here today with the Lord's Supper and honoring Him in that, with baptism uh, that we've done, that, uh, with singing that God is a good Father, that we want to share that with the world. And so we're going to do that with phone calls. We're going to do that with writing letters. Some of you are good at praying. We need everyone here, 5 o'clock, to help reach our community, to reach our nation. So uh, that's today. Speaking of uh, nighttime stuff, next Sunday night... I've got no number for you to remember because we're not going to be here next Sunday night. Next Sunday is, is, is Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Day. We're going to honor Jesus with the resurrection services uh, at 8 and 1030. We want you to be a part of that. Bring your family. Bring your friends' families and, and, and your friends. And, uh, and then we want you to, to hang out with your family and to, uh, to spend some time together that way. With that being said, y'all have a great night. We'll see you. God bless.